everybody, my name is Axel Villamil, and this is 24 Shades of Blue. We're here with none other than Megan Gray, Manager, Corporate Communications at Toronto Police Services. Megan, how are you doing? Hi, Ax. How are you doing? I'm great. This is a, a very, very, I guess, exciting interview for me because we've worked together for a while, as I don't think a lot of people know on the podcast that you have helped immensely make this happen and what we do. So um, having this interview is a treat for me. So. It's a treat for me too. This is like season one, season finale. <laughs> I hope I don't let anybody down. This is this is the one. So everybody listening and watching, get ready. <laughs> As I, I, I got to know you, and I, I did my research because I wanted to know exactly who I was working with, I searched up Megan Gray Communications, and boy, did your name come up everywhere, everything, from writing in articles to being mentioned them to being on video. Tell us about your roles and responsibilities in, in what you do at TPS. Yeah, so I, I joined the Toronto Police Service uh, 18 years ago next month, uh, back in 2003. Uh, I had just done a couple of years with the provincial government, working for a couple of different cabinet ministers, uh, and transitioned into the role of sort of press and crisis communications and issues management while I was with the government, uh, when the position opened up at the Toronto Police. And uh, I've been here ever since. Uh, doing crisis communications and issues management and media relations, uh, anything and everything you can think of sort of under that uh, umbrella of, of corporate communications. Uh, and people often wonder how you could possibly spend 18 years in the exact same job. And I know for you and, and the rest of the great crew that's here, which clearly fall under that sort of millennial uh, generation, that seems even more uh, impossible. But uh, I tell people I have not had the same job in 18 years. I've worked for four different chiefs of police. Uh, it's been a, d a different issue and a, a different sort of communications uh, project all the time, every day, every single year. It's been quite a ride. Let's talk about an elephant in the room. These last two years probably have been yeah. one of your busiest years in your career. How do you deal with such large events when they happen? Like what happens to the comms team? Because there's times where we've spoken it and you just go, Axel can't talk right now. Huge event. Like, tell me about that process. Yeah. So it's, uh, it depends. I mean, and sometimes there are planned uh, events that we know are coming and we're able to put our uh, sort of communications plan into place where we have several people on our corporate communications team. They are all uh, professionals, both a mix of civilians and uniforms, some of whom have worked there as long as I have. Uh, some are, are brand new and adding a new flavor to our office, but uh, they all know that they have a role to play. Um, but we also know each other's role. So often when we have a crisis or an emergency, whatever you want to call it, whether planned or otherwise, uh, we know exactly what we need to do. And if somebody's off that day, it doesn't matter because you're just picking up uh, the pieces of all those different pieces of communications. So coming together and understanding that not only do we have to advise the public on what's happening, uh, we have to maintain a social media presence. We have to talk to our members. Internal communications is often overlooked. And uh, it's something we're really trying to do a better job at. We support the chief and his command team. Uh, we support incident commanders if, if they've put into an incident command structure in place. Lots of different moving parts. And, uh, you know, 
somebody always asks, oh, can you send us, you know, your communications plan for uh, a protest? Or can you send us your communications plan for uh, a hurricane? It, it, it's never the same, right? It's, <laughs> and, and no hurricane is ever the same. And no officer involved shooting is ever the same. And no protest is ever the same. Uh, so instead, we just try and go back to those basic fundamentals of communications. Uh, you know, we try and be up to date. We try and be accurate. We try and be reliable. We try to be informed. Uh, all of those different sort of principles we think of uh, when getting messages out to our members and the public. Sounds like so much coordination needs to happen. Like you said, if somebody's off, it just pick up. I feel, you know, just imagining what that position would be like. It'd have to be quite a, a, a well-prepared handoff too at the same time in order to meet the demands of so many things happening all the time because you, you don't you really don't sleep in terms of the work that you all do. Um, you mentioned something about all the chiefs you've been through. You said you've been through four chiefs. Uh, it sounds like the crown and you're going through like different prime ministers and you're the queen. <laughs> um, but you went through four different chiefs. What was that experience like for you? Like, did they all have different views on communication? Were they all the same? Was there a standard? Um, did one like one and not the other? Like, what was what was the difference in working for four different chiefs? Yeah, I mean, they're they're all collectively different, uh, you know, not just in their experience as police officers, uh, but then in their experience in the senior ranks and and uh, what they want to bring to the role of chief of police. Uh, I would say easily all four of them um, saw value in the role of corporate communications, um, saw value in sort of all of those different aspects and taking that uh, professional advice that comes with having a corporate communications team. Um, they all saw the value in things like social media uh, and using different technologies to, uh, you know, expand our reach out into the community. Uh, they've all been very supportive, which has been a blessing. It's made our job, obviously, a lot easier uh, over the last couple of decades. Uh, and I, I think that is only going to grow with future chiefs. Uh, you know, even though we always had support from the chief, there was always times within the organization where um, other members maybe didn't see the value in communications. They felt that it was something that they could bring in at the end of a project or at the very last minute, you know, a, hey, oh, by the way, uh, <laughs> yeah. this is going to happen or this has happened and can you help or just a general misunderstanding. And I feel like the service itself and really in policing in general has really evolved over the last couple of years, over the last even decade uh, to get to a point where there is far more value placed in a communications uh, team. So when working with the chiefs, were they all, I guess, good with speaking to the media? Did you have to go in there with training? Is there other uh, people in the organization that you had to help and coach? Well. Yeah, I mean, certainly even with the chief, with his members of his command team, uh, any senior officer, really, they all bring uh, strengths and weaknesses, as we all do, uh, to communications and especially to media relations. So even though somebody has had a media relations training course, it's certainly recommended that they repeat it often. Uh, and even as communications professionals, we're always looking for ways to uh, improve our skills and, and um, keep up to date on, on different changes. I mean, my first media training uh, is done on a VHS tape that still sits in my 
Amazing. Uh, desk. Yeah, it's awesome. Send me a copy. No, please. you're not getting a copy. And uh, How did you it's me? <laughs> absolutely not. No, it's uh, it's entertaining to say the least. But I mean, even then, you can see me visibly rolling my eyes at a question that I'm getting, which is obviously something we we train against. But it's that repeated sort of uh, skill set that needs to you need to keep using it. You need to keep training yourself. Gotta so gotta you got to drill. Repetition is the key to learning. As can you they give me say. a one on one? What would you? Like if I'm new chief and I'm rolling my eyes everywhere, what am I? Can you give me some pointers right now if I'm somebody brand new that you're training? So normally in that type of situation, what we would do is we would talk about, particularly when you're in a scrum type situation, you have multiple reporters asking you multiple questions, often very fast paced. What I actually recommend is that the person who is being interviewed uh, take some time to cast their glance downwards. Uh, there's no reason why they have to stare or try and keep up with where the questions are coming from. Uh, use your ears, think about what you want to say, uh, and compose both your facial expressions and your words before you respond. Uh, just because somebody's shooting questions at you doesn't mean you have to shoot back answers. Uh, so take the time to slow down the conversation and, and be thoughtful in what you want to say. Uh, everybody should prepare to go into an interview, except for this one, uh, with no, you know, having at least an idea of what they want to get across. Uh, so if you can keep sort of those thoughts in your mind and slow down your own thought process and your own body language, uh, then you'll do a better job than than trying to get caught up in that rush. Absolutely. I think a lot of people don't realize that those small pauses are just wonderful moments for you to collect your thoughts and breathe a bit as I'm thinking right now mm-hmm. to say something. Yeah, <laughs> so absolutely. I, it, it's it's not easy, especially when you are, I, I can only imagine what, you know, all the, the like someone like the chief would have to go through um, with all the reporters yep. and lights and flashing and what, what about this? What about that? Um, how do you kind of drill them in terms of practice that do you like do mock situations or anything yep. like that oh wow that's super Absolutely, cool. Absolutely yeah cool. so uh, when I do media training for members yeah. uh, what we do is not just sort of that practical instruction of here are some tips and tricks but we also partner with a number of our media uh, agencies who will come and do sort of a mock interview or a mock scrum uh, we do record it so that we can play it back for them and uh, they can have that treasured VHS takeaway that I have in my desk. <laughs> Amazing. I I mean, you, you've been communication manager for four chiefs. So a lot has happened throughout those four chiefs. Mm-hmm. One of the big cases definitely was uh, the Bruce MacArthur case that you were on. How was that? Uh, you know, you're obviously working with Hank. Mm-hmm. Um, can you tell us about that experience? Yeah, it was certainly one of the most uh, challenging uh, cases uh, that I've worked on from a communications perspective. Um, and one that I, I don't think we knew where it was going to go and and had to keep just sort of uh, adjusting our communications as we went along. Uh, I was great, very grateful to have worked with uh, Inspector Insigna at that time. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't really know Hank before that. Um, and he is by far one of the most professional and uh, thoughtful police officers I have had the pleasure of working with. Uh, and he understood the value of communications. Um, so he really brought us along uh, in that investigation. Um, and we really had some good discussions about the best way to um, 
respond. He was always uh, willing to be the uh, face of that investigation by giving updates um, when it wasn't uh, maybe for the chief, but for somebody else. Um, he also placed faith in me to do interviews for that investigation. I did uh, countless ones from, you know, our local media right up into, you know, CNN and uh, BBC and uh, just worldwide attention. Um, but what made it easier was having Hank understand the value of communications. And and the two of us were on the same page when it came to communication. So we knew we had to be uh, as open as we could with information. Um, regular updates to the public uh, was going to be key uh, throughout. Uh, and that's what we tried to maintain. I mean, it's what, what year was that, if you don't mind me asking? Uh, that was 2018. 2018, got yeah. it. And that's like, I think... You know, there was already booms of media around that yeah. time, but I think a lot of companies, especially large, large organizations, especially government ones, didn't really know how to perceive themselves properly, like or, or didn't take communication as seriously, like what you're saying with Hank, like he really put that at the forefront, because yeah. if you can't communicate what's going on, then the perception is totally different. And I think that's what you, you do so well, is that making sure that everybody's hearing and seeing the right things. Um, and it's so important. I mean... As much as I would love to see the chief on TikTok doing something really cool. Was it in discussions? Have you ever asked them? It may be on the <gasps> table, actually. Watch out, everybody. For <laughs> <laughs> Hey, I don't know what it'll do. It'll be some good stuff. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, we're all, I mean, so just like on social media in particular, we're always looking for ways to expand our audiences. And social media is obviously one of those places where there are audiences that, that don't traditionally use any other types of media to keep yeah. themselves informed. You have to be and evolving. It, That's you have the to hard keep evolving. And it only makes sense uh, to put police officers and a police organization and its chief in those places. So, uh, you know, our chief is currently on Twitter, uh, which is great <laughs> as a police service. We've expanded into other platforms, YouTube, Instagram, uh, Twitter. Obviously, we have a couple of different officers who are experiencing, uh, you know, experimenting, I should say, with TikTok. Uh, so yeah, I think it won't be long before you see uh, a chief of police on TikTok. I'm excited. So am I. <laughs> well, we talked a lot about the good and, you know, the, I guess, the journey. Uh, I do want to talk about the tough times that mm -hmm. you must have. So you handle everything and I'm sure you hear every type of story, which way, um, how do you handle all that on a day-to-day -day basis, uh, for your mental health? Uh, yeah, that's a question I hadn't really thought of, to be brutally honest, until sort of I was chatting with Gabriella and your folks here. Uh, it's been a lot. And yeah, we do in corporate communications get to see every single aspect of the police service. Um, and with that comes the great stories of officers who save lives, you know, all the time, um, not just operationally, but who give of their time uh, to uh, volunteer or to mentor or to do other things that quite often don't get picked up in regular media. Um, and then there are some really awful things uh, that we have to hear about. Um, you know, cases, you know, I, I know it's difficult for uh, most people, but you know, I've had more than one briefing on child exploitation. Those are obviously the cases that really, um, even as a mother of two young kids, um, any 
incident that involves child abuse or child sexual abuse or uh, child exploitation in any way, obviously, um, very much hits home and and is difficult. Um, but I think that we talk about it as a team. Uh, you know, it's often not just one of us that are having to go through those types of situations. It's a it's a team effort. Um, the officers, you know, too, are always very respectful of the type of information that they're disclosing. And, uh, you know, there's always that conversation of, you know, I have to brief you on this and it's a really awful case. So getting that heads up to sort of prepare yourself. Um, and I have a really solid support network. Um, I have a very supportive husband. I have a very supportive group of friends. Um, and they know what I do and, and they know that sometimes it's, really awful. And, um, you know, there's been threats and there's been, uh, other things that you deal with being sort of that face of, of a police service. Um, but you manage yeah. and you get through it for sure. I bet. Uh, I, I mean, I'll be honest with you. It was very, it was scary for me, I think around the time when this was becoming a thing because of everything that was going on and I'm yeah. like stepping into some shoes to create a conversation and you know and then i thought about it um and i realized i think it's the purpose of what we're doing is what really matters the most and it's humanizing and showing that you're human Mm -hmm. chief's human all these other officers are human uh and every human operates differently and i think like you know talking about your case with your mental health on how you're taking your work with you sometimes Mm -hmm not by choice, it just kind of goes with you, is something that humans go through. And I've spoken to so many people that you've amazingly brought in, your 911 ops, down to the traffic people, down to, you know, people on crime scenes, uh, seeing the aftermath, being there for it, being held at gunpoint. Um, Each and every person has their own thoughts and their own demons that they have to deal with, with this job. But at the end of the day, what I've noticed as a huge theme is that you get to help people and I think that's something I super, super, super respect that you do. And what I think a lot of people probably don't understand about your role is that you get just as much of that mm-hmm. through the text on the screen, through sure. voicemails, through calls, through whatever. So it must be a challenge. But at the same time, you're the person letting us all know that you whatever you say could help solve a case. That's right. For all I know, whatever you say could save somebody's life. Yeah. Um, and I think that's what we all don't see or get right at first glance. So it's, it must be, um, super rewarding at the end of the day. Is that, what do you, why do you do it? Like, wh- yeah. why do you do it? And, and I would agree it's super rewarding. And I, and you know, I really feel like the last 18 years obviously have had a significant influence on my life. Um, but in a very sort of deep and meaningful way. And I know that sounds cliche, um, but I readily admit I grew up in a, you know, upper middle class family uh, in Toronto, um, both parents at home. I'm an only child, um, really grew up in a life of privilege that I did not understand until I started working at the Toronto Police Service. Uh, and over the years, just being exposed to so many different corners of this city and so many different people who make up this city uh, and now really, truly understanding um, how 
blessed and how fortunate that I've been in my life. Uh, it's something that I really quite obsessively impose on my children um, for them to have an understanding of how blessed and fortunate they are. And, and not just to recognize the privilege that's been given to us, but how to then leverage that to help those who have not been uh, as fortunate. And, um, you know, turning, you know, my family and myself and my children into sort of those active allyship roles is something that I'm not sure I would have done had I not been exposed to the things I've been exposed at at the Toronto Police Service. Um, so I feel very fortunate, you know, I feel very fortunate to highlight um, the work that our members do every single day, um, to be surrounded by people who feel the exact same way I am. Um, and that's not in, and I know this is not what you're suggesting, but that's not in any way to make excuse for any of the issues that we've seen in policing, even over the last several years that have been, um, insulting and offensive to even those of us who work in this business. Um, it's just meant to like recognize that, there are some very, very hardworking, dedicated, um, good-hearted people who I've been fortunate enough to work with over the last eighteen years. All of that—that was—that was amazing. That you know, you took what you had and your experiences, and not only did you help leverage other communities, but also you know your your own family as well to that understanding. I think one that's not only a good sign of somebody in force and what they should be doing, but also sign as a great mother. So I Thank hope you. you're proud of yourself and we're all I super try. proud of you. <laughs> great. Well, um, I mean, that was it. If there's anything that I'd love to end on, it was that note of, of what you do and why you're happy about it. If there's anything you could, I guess, tell the rest of the audiences about, you know, why, what this podcast means to you, mm-hmm. as well as if there's any organizations that, you know, you personally work with and communicate? Um, So first, when it comes to this podcast, uh, this has been an amazing experience. The podcast has given us an opportunity to explore an aspect of communications that has never been done before at the Toronto Police Service. So to be able to have this opportunity to sit down and share stories and highlight not just cases as we do with the cold case squad, but um, people at the organization uh, in sort of that unfiltered conversational 45 minutes or whatever it is, uh, opportunity has, has really meant a lot to us. Uh, and I think that it was really an inevitable next step for policing. Um, you know, we still continuously try and focus on mainstream media opportunities, uh, and we forget sometimes that not everybody's reading the Saturday newspaper and not everybody's watching the six o'clock news. And in fact, the population that continues to do that is probably um, dwindling by the day. Uh, and people are getting their information on the go. They're listening to the podcast on the way to work, on their commute, while they're exercising, while they're cleaning their house, while they're watching their kids' soccer game. Uh, and we needed to get in that space. So for OBN Acts to have given us that opportunity, uh, I think has really been a, a really, really great uh, chance for us to explore all of those options. Uh, as far as organizations, I wouldn't even know where to start. Um, you know, we've 
I've been very fortunate to get to know a lot of different people in the community uh, who hold me uh, to a higher standard. Uh, it's not unusual for me to get a phone call or an email saying, uh, did you see this quote from this person or did you see this news release or I was in a meeting and somebody said this and that language is not appropriate. Um, and, and, you know, I've taken that knowledge and put together, you know, a language guide for the Toronto Police Service. We've created policing guides for community members and none of that could have been possible without the community members who were willing to take the time to educate me so that I could educate others. Uh, and that's an evolving situation, right? Because things like language and communications are always changing. Um, you know, we've worked with some great uh, partnerships, you know, I think off the top of my head, the Canadian Centre for Child Protection. Uh, they're located in Winnipeg. Uh, and we've had a working relationship with them for several years. And the work that they do to support parents and teachers and guardians, as well as law enforcement, uh, in addressing things like child exploitation online is really quite commendable um, for any parent out there or teacher who needs resources on how to talk to your children uh, and how to keep your children safe online, please visit their website. Uh, they also run cybertip.ca, which is an online reporting tool for cases of child sexual abuse online. Meg, it's October. Uh, it's also Breast Cancer Awareness Month. So I want to talk about what does TPS do um, to work with those organizations? So October is Breast Cancer Awareness Month. Uh, at the Toronto Police Service, there are a number of different members who are involved in breast cancer awareness. You will often see them wearing pink epaulets for breast cancer awareness uh, or running uh, various uh, sort of charitable fundraising, fundraising uh, drives for breast cancer awareness. Um, I am a two-year survivor uh, of breast cancer. I was diagnosed in January of 2019. Um, with triple negative breast cancer, um, left work uh, for about six months uh, to do treatment uh, with the amazing doctors at Sunnybrook Health Sciences Centre here in Toronto, um, and really have then taken it upon myself to try. I was very transparent with my journey through breast cancer, uh, both with family and friends and complete strangers on social media. Uh, and now make a point of trying to remind uh, during breast cancer awareness at any other time the value of checking your own breasts. Uh, I had no family history. Uh, I was not in that age range for regular mammograms. And if it wasn't for an accidental brush up against the right side of my right breast, I would never have known that I had breast cancer. Um, and really the value in doing your own self-checks uh, because it really can make a difference. Um, I've just recently been uh, selected as one of the senior officer co-chairs on our Cancer Internal Support Network at the Toronto Police Service. Um, my doctors at Sunnybrook have even connected me uh, with strangers who are now not any no longer strangers, uh, women that I speak to on a regular basis to try and support them through their breast cancer journeys. Um, so certainly if there's anyone out there um, who hasn't thought about breast cancer, check your breasts, check your breasts, check your breasts. And if anybody has any questions about breast cancer, I'd encourage them to reach out to me because I am happy to talk openly and honestly about my journey. So much for your time. Thank you for this opportunity to talk and 
you know, bring a different type of conversation to the table. This is something that's truly innovative uh, within this industry. So uh, thank you, everybody. This is 24 Shades of Blue. I'm Axel Villamil, and we're out.